Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today I'm joined by Danielle Trasoni, author of The Ancestor, uh, writer for the New York Times Book Review, and creator behind the new Crypto Z audio drama. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's great to be on the podcast. I am so happy to have you here, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, it's exciting to be here. Um, it's, you know, we're in the, what is it, the third month of the pandemic, and I, I'm kind of just happy to be here in general. <laughs> not, not sick, yeah. um, still able to do what I love, which is talk about horror fiction and write books and talk to people who share my interests. So, so we will be doing some of that. Macmillan Audio presents His and Hers, the spine-chilling new audiobook from Alice Feeney, the best-selling author of Sometimes I Lie. There are two sides to every story, which means someone is always lying. His and Hers is a twisty, smart, and gripping tale of suspense told by expert narrators Richard Armitage and Stephanie Racine that will keep listeners guessing until the very end. Someone isn't telling the truth, and some secrets are worth killing to keep. Download His and Hers by Alice Feeney, wherever audiobooks are sold. So for our listeners who don't know about it, can you tell us a little bit about The Ancestor? Sure. So The Ancestor is a novel that came out a few months ago. Um, it is uh, gothic horror fiction, kind of in the classic sense, except for it takes a, a very weird sci-fi turn about three quarters of the way through or toward the end. It's kind of on the edge of many genres, actually. Like, it's been described as a mystery. It's been described as a horror novel. It's been described as literary fiction. It's been described as sci-fi. So I don't really try to classify it anymore. I kind of just say, like, this is what it is. But to give just a brief summary, it's about a woman who takes a DNA test, you know, just like the kind of spit in a tube test that so many people take. I've taken them. I know so many people who have. And through various machinations, she ends up discovering that she has a family she didn't know about in the Italian Alps and that she's inherited a title. Um, she's a um, nobility. She's a countess. And so she goes to, to this this place to see what it is. And of course, very bad things happen. Yes. I mean, I it would definitely appeal to people who love horror and that's what I did like about it is it did have all of these blends of genres it had all the good like gothic build up the castle and the atmosphere and everything there and then it does take a turn into kind of cryptid cryptozoology right yeah <laughs> cryptozoology a little bit a little bit of um like sci-fi but in the like true old-fashioned sense of like it's about science um i became fascinated with um the history of evolution and what it means to be human and and our ancestors so you know the the book it 
works on a couple of different levels because, you know, it's about this main character, Alberta, her ancestry, right? She learns about these strange ancestors she has. But also the way that I was thinking about the book is in sort of a larger scale about human ancestry and this idea that, so we're homo sapiens, but, you know, 100,000 years ago, there were five different kinds of humanoid creatures that walked the planet. And, you know, just the idea that some of us even now have Neanderthal DNA and like (laughs) that we're connected to this other kind of human is fascinating to me. Um, And, you know, like the question of like, what if some of those different hominids evolved and were still around? I mean, that sort of speculative question was really at the heart of what I started to do with the novel. Yeah, I really loved those sections um, where you went into that. So I do have to ask, like, in your research, looking into this, how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like you find yourself believing in that a little more? Like, are you more open to that idea that, like, Um, Bigfoot or Yeti? Yeah, I would love it. I mean, I think if Bigfoot exists, then Bigfoot is a hominid, right? Like, that's my my conclusion about it. Um, Like, it's more human than ape, for example, right? Um, But I don't know. I mean, what fascinated me about it um, is that I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to research, and I can just get lost in all of it. Um, And so going down the rabbit hole of learning about cryptozoology, which I didn't know much about before. And for those people listening who don't know what it is, it's the it's the study of animals or creatures such as, um, you know, the the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or mermaids or vampires or whatever that some people believe exists. But science has not yet like nailed it down right like we don't have the body of Bigfoot so we can't prove it Um, but there's you know generally speaking you know a lot of people in the world who believe it Um, so there's this huge science behind it like it's crazy I didn't realize how many people were into it but there's a cryptozoology museum in Maine there's tons of journals about cryptozoology Um, and so I just like went crazy with all of that. It was really fun. My novel was originally, it's like about 350 pages now, but it originally was like a, a hundred pages longer <laughs> with all of that stuff in it. And it ended up getting cut out by my editor, um, which is why, in, you know, partially why I created the Crypto Z audio drama because I just had all that material. I had done all that research and I just loved the idea so much that I wanted to create something else with it. Well, that's awesome. So is the audio drama like a separate story from the one in The Ancestor or is it connected or in the same universe at all? It has some characters that overlap. Like, for example, the Iceman characters overlap um, and one cryptozoologist um, sort of overlaps. Um, but other than that, it's a totally separate story. It's about um, so crypto. Z, the audio drama, which people can download for free. Um, it's There's 10 episodes. We have five that have been published so far. It really follows these two cryptozoologists as they um, track try to track down a cryptid in the Alps. Um, and of course, there's lots of backstory. Um, it's told mainly from the point of view of this one woman who's a scientist and a cryptozoologist and you know how her life is sort of interwoven with the creature that she's hunting. So yeah, it's a totally separate story. And it's such a different thing, right? Like writing this book, I was in my office writing it myself. But when we did the audio drama, there's, you know, I really just wrote the scripts 
um, because you know audio drama is different from audiobooks for people who aren't into it in that you know audio drama just like is total surround sound it's like you're you're hearing it in as if you're in that universe so it's acted performed there's sound design there's music there's you know lots of editing that involved anyway so we had like 15 actors and a sound designer and a director and um, it just became this big, huge, wonderful project that was so much fun to do. So I really like if if anyone out there is at all interested in in hearing, you know, something like that, I would I would go download it and and take a listen at least to the first episode because it's it, for me it was really shocking like how much can be done in that medium. Whereas I had always, you know, I've tried to listen to a lot of audio dramas and sometimes it's just like one person speaking with a microphone. And we wanted to do something where it's just the whole world is like ambiance. Oh, that's awesome. With that, did you do like all the the writing, like the screenplay style? And did you have a hand at like casting and all that? So I did write all the scripts. I, I just went away and wrote 10, 10, 30 minute scripts. So I did that part. I didn't have, I, and then I handed it off to the guy who directed it and I let him do all the rest because, you know, he was really great and let me hear the audition tapes and stuff like that, the audio. And I did have a hand in saying, oh yeah, I like that one or I don't like that one. But um, in the end, it was really there, you know, his thing, you know, in the production. Um, also just because I'm, as a writer, I just like to get back to my writing <laughs> so um I, I don't have fantasies of directing <laughs> anything so um yeah I just like handed it off and went back into my my little writing cave and continued to work so was it very different kind of doing more of that screenplay style where all the information has to be relayed through dialogue oh yeah and you know because I've written I've written um you know just a couple of I wrote a feature once and, and I wrote a couple of um, pilots for television, basically just for me, like to teach me how to do it. Um, and it's all also visual, right? Like, you know, you're setting up the drama through what the camera sees. And, and I think of dialogue in that situation is almost like punctuating the visuals, like um, supporting the vi- what what's happening happening dramatically like on the screen and audio drama obviously you can't see anything so everything is what you hear and I found myself going through the script and and choosing locations and choosing actions that the characters would take and choosing really just the whole dr- dramatic sequence of a, of an episode based on what sounded cool. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it was really fun. I would, um, one of the reasons I wanted to keep it in the Alps is that there are so many cool sounds and, and really interesting ways of hearing um, that world. And then of course, the dialogue is really important because you have to build the drama and build the interactions in dialogue, but you don't want to have bad dialogue. You don't want it to be like, hi there, this is what's happening. And the other <laughs> character saying, oh yes, that's what's happening. Okay, now this is happening, right? So it has to be like the sort of, still very dramatic like a play or like a film but you're relying so much more heavily on storytelling techniques that are novelistic so I always kind of call it basically the perfect mixture of writing a novel and and writing for for television or or film Um, because you get the internal I love doing internal sort of dialogue and internal monologues and you get to do that more in audio drama than you would for example in film. Yeah, I can see that. So I did want to ask about the setting with the Italian Alps. Like, did your research 
kind of take you there or was that a setting you had planned about writing and did you visit there at all? So yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. It all is kind of mixed up together. Like, so my last name is Trisoni, Italian last name. Um, I grew up in my dad's side of the family was is Italian American. And uh, I've always been fascinated with Italy. I've just always loved it. It, and I've been a number of times but when I took I took a DNA test myself just a two three and me sort of spit test and found out that I'm only 1.7 percent Italian which I was like what you know oh. what's going on here and my sister took the I said Kelly you have to take it too and she took it and she was the same thing so it got it really sort of set me off on the on this story because of Italy and my great my great grandparents are from the Alps, not exactly this place in the Alps. Um, the ancestor is set in the Aosta Valley, whereas my grandparents are from more towards Switzerland um, in the Alps in Italy by Lake Como. So uh, it did get me sort of going on that path. But really, you know, one of the reasons I chose that setting is because of Frankenstein. Um, the Mont Blanc, you know, is is a big part of the ancestor and obviously there's a section of Frankenstein where Frankenstein's monster is climbing the Alps and it's just this very dramatic scene it's always stayed with me so you know there are a number of reasons why I chose that setting and then of course you know after I chose it I did a lot of research and I did end up going there which was amazing it was just so beautiful and very uh you know very kind of remote not a lot of people there the structures are so old right like we went and visited these little mountain houses for example that are you know probably a couple of hundred years old and just seeing them sort of nestled in between these mountains was amazing so yeah I did I did all of that before before and during writing the book that's awesome was there any type of castle there at all yes there were oh, wow. many many I stayed I actually slept in one for one night you could um it was like a um an Airbnb oh that's awesome uh, yeah and that really helped the research but I did visit there there are a number of castles there and they're all really particular to that region you know they're built a certain way and they have certain interiors so that you know what you read in the book is really very authentic because I went and made sure that the kinds of rooms that you'd find in a castle in the Aosta Valley were the kinds of rooms that um, Alberta or Bert found when she went to the castle um, in the Alps. Wow. Yeah, so <laughs> very granular research, right? I, I'm kind of like that. I, I, I wrote a novel called Angelology. Um, that was my first novel, and it was the same thing. I did a lot of research um, about the places and about the story, and it's fun. It does seem fun. So yeah, Angelology had a bit of like paranormal kind of supernatural yes. stuff to it too. Yeah. Yeah, it did. So the story with Angelology is about the, I mean, the premise of it is that a woman, a, a nun actually, who's in her 20s, discovers that she is part of this sort of global war between the Nephilim, which is, a, I don't know if you know what that is, but that's a, it's a biblical creature that's first mentioned sort of just in passing in Genesis, but then there's all of this stuff outside of the Bible by scholars who have written about it, about them. They are a combination of human beings and angels, um, and they were created when a group of angels came to earth, fell in love with human women, and their children were called Nephilim or giants. So, for okay. example, Samson was considered a giant or perhaps a Nephilim. And, you know, they show up throughout 
the Bible um, in these various, you know, disguise. I don't want to say disguises, but like various forms, right? Where mm-hmm. they're not like flying around or they don't have wings, but they're part of that heritage. And so my what if question with that book was what if those creatures really existed? And what if every, you know, there's a select group of people from basically time immemorial right from the beginning of human existence that knew that they existed and sort of had worked to contain them and keep the rest of us from knowing that they're here. And what if those, you know, there's because in the Bible they're evil, right? They're, they're evil angels. So what if those, those creatures actually are responsible for a lot of the terrible things that have happened throughout human history? And so the novel, um, it begins in sort of the present moment with this young woman discovering that she's descended from the group of people who are fighting them. And yeah, and that she's actually part of this fight. So she gets pulled in and it becomes a sort of mythological battle book. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, Uh, I'll send you a copy. You should send me your address. I'll mail you a copy. I think you would would like it. Um, so is that I know there's two is it a duology or is that gonna have more so so it it was going to be there were going to be three um there's two and then um my publisher my editor left my publishing house and the series stopped so I keep getting requests for the third one um and I am going to write it at some point I just have to figure out how to do that um and you know there I I will go back to it but you know I have some people who are mad at me because (laughs) they want the third one and believe me I would like to write it but I have to figure out the right way to do it you gotta do it how you gotta do it gotta do it how it how it works I mean I've had some people say do a GoFundMe and we'll just buy it in advance and then you can write it and I could do that I guess but I would really like to have a publishing house you know involved so that it gets published properly I can see that so you described yourself as a kind of fan of horror what is your personal history with horror so I you know I grew up reading really indiscriminately and I read a lot of horror as a kid just without thinking of it as horror I don't think we think in genres then right like you pick up V.C. Andrews and then you pick up something else and then you're reading Judy Bloom, and then you're like off to fantasy and I mean our I was anyway I just you know went through the library and chose whatever was interesting so I ended up reading like a lot of Anne Rice and a lot of Stephen King and a lot of uh, V.C. Andrews and um, you know books like that when I was growing up and it just sort of stayed with me I think because I've always been interested in writing stories that have a darkness to them and I'm really fascinated by mythology and using sort of creatures from mythology in those stories. And so the combination of those things, I guess, lands me in the horror, um, you know, landscape. Also, I was asked a couple of years ago to start um, writing the the New York Times Book Review horror column. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was essentially because of angelology, which people classify as horror or supernatural thriller or however they classify it as different things. But I think, uh, you know, basically other people saw me as a horror writer too. So, and, and, you know, I'm very happy to have this um, ability to read all of these great horror novels that are coming out and write about them. It's, it's really been one of the most fun things I've been doing in the past few years is that column. Yeah, I saw you just really, well, it just came out the like summer reading list. Yeah, yeah. yes. 
So there was a lot of good books on there. So what has that been like writing that column? So it's been really fun. Um, it's changed a little bit since p- the pandemic hit because I'm not really able to get um, paper galleys as much. And I used to be able to get, you know, basically they would send the ev- everyone at the book review is working from different locations. So they used to send them to the book review and then the book review would choose books, some of the books and then send them and I would choose other ones. But now I'm pretty much choosing everything myself. Um, so I'm really just out hunting, looking. So if you have any good recommendations about books coming out in August and September, let me know. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. I, you know, I get to read, you know, kind of like the best books out there. And I get to read them before other people do. So um, that's really fun. It is really fun. <laughs> yeah. So would any of the ones coming out, well, I don't know if you're familiar with our scariness scale, but books in the freezer, we usually rate on like a scariness scale. And so uh-huh. like least scary or like not super scary is room temperature. And then it goes to fridge and then like very scary goes in the freezer, like Joey with The Shining from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So what's a recent freezer book for you? Um, let me think. So The Living Dead, which is coming out in a couple weeks, is pretty scary, especially right now. Um, although, you know, it's like 600 pages and it's insane. You know, like there's just so much that happens in that book. Um, what else? Let me think. Oh, Wonderland by Zoji Stage. I don't know if you've read that yet. That just came out or is just coming I'm, out. Yeah. I haven't read it, but it's on my like immediately when it comes out, I'm getting it. You know, it's scary and not like a slasher scary, right? Like for me, psychological scary tends to almost scare me more than, um, you know, someone with an axe running after someone in the hallway. Like Wonderland is is very psychologically scary because it touches these points of you know what's reality and what's our imagination and and what's sanity and and can we hurt people in ways that we don't mean to and what happens when we do and I don't know I think it's pretty great what else was super scary that I've read oh Josh Mallerman's new book Mallory it's pretty scary if you like you know if you liked Bird Box I did like Bird Box. That's one I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And you were also recently a jurist for the Pulitzer. Yes, I was, actually. The last two years, I was on that jury. Um, So, and, you know, I think that's very cool that they had me do that. I mean, my my history, like, so, yes, I'm only talking with you about horror, but my history is that, um, you know, I had two literary memoirs and I've written sort of so-called literary fiction um, before as well so that's um, I think why I was chosen to do that but yeah and that was it was an amazing experience Um, and the books different totally different kind of book comes to me you know when I'm doing that kind of jury (laughs) but we had you know like 300 books come I had you know a year coming because publishers submit those books and we have to look at them all we don't read them cover to cover every book but we do you know look at it read a few chapters at least and think about it uh before we nominate the finalists yeah I had no idea how that worked that's a crazy amount (laughs) it's a crazy amount it's a lot of it's a lot of work it's kind of a big responsibility though because the winner of that 
surprise. It's really, um, it does sell that a lot of books and a lot of, it does create a nice platform for that book. Um, so you feel, or at least I did, feel a lot of responsibility to not just choose your favorite author, right? Like to really read widely. And I wanted to, um, you know, I, I wanted to read uh, writers who might not be normally chosen for that prize. Um, so I did like read genre writers too. And oh, that's awesome. um, yeah, and wanted to consider that element as well. And, you know, uh, women writers, I was, it seems like there was a time in my life where I was like really upset at how, and I still am, that so many prizes are, are given to men, um, you know, the, the big prizes. And that's changing, I think, a little bit in the last 10 years. But if you look like 30 years back and you go and look at these lists, it's just year after year after year, it's men. I know people have been a lot more like cognizant of it. Like I know, especially in the Twitter sphere that I'm in, you know, every time a like buy the book comes out, you know, people are looking to see are any female authors mentioned. Right. Right. No, I remember who was it? It was um, one of the writers of the of The Wire, I think. I can't remember who had just all men. It, there was a big backlash. What is his name? I can't remember. I anyway, I, I, um, I can't think of it. Either. Yeah. And in my summer column from last year, um, there was an anthology called um, uh, Flight or Fright yep. that was all men. It was 17 stor- short stories, not a woman in the bunch, 17 short horror short stories. And I was like beside myself. I couldn't believe it that yeah. this anthology would so egregiously cut out women writers um, and people of color too. Um, you know, there were, I don't believe there were any people of color or any women. It was 100% white men. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I just didn't even want to read it. <laughs> you know, I did read it and I did review it, but it was, and it's not, I suppose it's not the writers who wrote the short story. It's, you know, the people in that anthology, they don't know what the editors are choosing, Yeah. right? It's not their fault, but um, it no. is the, the editors, it was egregious, you know, they should have. I, I often feel that women, you know, they started the horror genre essentially with Mary Shelley and, and gothic fiction and so many others. And, and then there was a period where so many women writers were just ignored. Yeah. There was a small press that we kind of put together an anthology around the same time called Fright into Flight that was all female authors. Oh, that's kind awesome. of a response. A response oh, really? anthology. Yeah. I wish that I had seen that. Um, that's so cool. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I that should be published by like a and, and publicized, right? Like it should be. Actually, in my original review, and it was cut, this line was cut from the review, I said, I think these editors need to do another anthology of all women. And I asked them to, right? Like, mm-hmm. it was a, it was like a, a, a question, like, can you, will you fix this um, yeah. by doing that? And the editors at the book review cut it out. But, um, you know, I de- then I did say that on Twitter myself. So, I, you know, that's why I'm saying it again here, is that I really do believe that it should have been remedied on a big scale like because that was an anthology that was published by a big publisher and given the money for publicity and marketing and and you know it's you know what i'm saying like it, there should have been some some response yeah definitely so you mentioned that you know people kind of since you're the 
horror columnist, people kind of see you as like the horror person, but your roots were in literary. Have you noticed any difference in kind of the perception towards literary fiction than towards genre fiction? Well, it's so interesting because I, like I said earlier, I never really considered the difference, right, between genre and literary. And I just felt like, because some of my favorite books you know, like Wuthering Heights or, you know, Franken- these older books, right? And then even 19th century horror um, was at that time considered liter- literature. It was literary. There was no distinction so uh, the way that we do now. So I never really um, contemplated that. But I did see, so for example, my first book was um, a memoir, a, a literary memoir about my relationship with my father who was a Vietnam vet. And, you know, very realistic writing, pretty serious, kind of sad. And then my next book was Angelology, which some people, which most people consider genre. But it just kind of threw things in. So I noticed at that point that it kind of threw things into a spin that I didn't quite get. You know, I had, um, it, it was very well received. You know, it it did very well. But at the same time, some of the reviewers would say things like, one reviewer said, Danielle Tresoni is a fallen angel for writing a book like this. <laughs> yeah, no, like basically like I, you know, basically I betrayed literary fiction or something or like <laughs> I've sinned in some way by writing a book that steps out of the boundaries of so-called literary fiction. And it was a big review. Like it was in a, in a it was in Time magazine, right? It was a big review in like a big magazine. And I was so upset. Like I still talk about it. It's 10 years later. I'm still like... I was so upset by it because like what also the person who wrote that review is a speculative fiction writer too so I think it's only us that have these these hang-ups maybe (laughs) I don't know or or people who write in genre who feel slighted that they reflect it back at other people I have no idea but anyway I'm I still think that it's just a shame because good writing is good writing and um for me, dramatic writing, which is what horror writing is, it's so dramatic and, and so engrossing usually, um, or imaginative, is by far, um, you know, more, not more, but equally important to the culture and equally important to narrative as literary fiction that, you know, maybe has some nice sentences, but very little happens, right? So yeah. I think that there is a perception, to answer your question, finally, I think there is a a difference in perception with people I think it's breaking down because honestly I think because of the way that publishing is happening and because of Twitter and because of Goodreads and the way people read now literary culture is breaking down there's not a uniform liter sort of so-called literary culture the way I think there used to be maybe in the 90s I I mean didn't know that from the change in the 90s but I have noticed that I feel like there recently has been more horror fiction and I've found it even this year I feel like easier to look on publisher catalogs and find at least a few horror titles whereas yeah you know two three years ago that was very difficult right and also like hugely diverse too right there's Mm -hmm. like all different kinds of horror which is so cool and you know I think part of it I mean my little theory is that you know when films like Get Out or Parasite start winning Oscars um, you know people who are out there making money, publishers, you know, their ears prick up and think, oh, people want to read these things, these books, and people are actually 
um, going to pay for them. And so they start looking for that. I mean, that's just me thinking from their point of view, but I don't know. I, I've noticed it too. And I've also noticed, noticed that people are less afraid. I think like really good writers are not afraid to say I'm writing in the horror genre, which is awesome. Yes. Because I would love all the horror novels. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to send them all to you. <laughs> You're all going to Stephanie's house. I wish. <laughs> so what are you, if you can talk about it, what are you working on now? I am writing another novel. Um, it's, I can't, I'm not going to talk too much about what it's about other than it is, you know, one of my, the kinds of novels I write, which means that there's a mixture of horror and mystery and some mythology in it. And it's really frustrating me to no end right now. I'm, there was a moment earlier this week where I was like, where I figured something out in my book and like, it basically put me in a corner. I got really stuck and then I figured something out and I'm like, oh my God, I have to essentially go and rewrite the whole thing. So it's one of those, I'm having one of those weeks, but it's, you know, I'm writing another novel. I'm really excited about it. You know, that's, yeah. And also, um, I guess I can talk about it now because we just finished this. The Ancestor op- was optioned um, for film, and I g- get to co-write the script. So I, I'll be oh, working wow. on that. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome news. Yes, I just got I just got that news that it's that we're closing that. So I can hopefully um, I can actually talk about it in public. <laughs> By the time this comes out, it will I will have been able to. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, that would be a fun one to see on the screen. Don't you think? I mean, the I Alps and... Oh, yeah. Um, I think it will be visually really, really great. All the atmosphere. Be good. Just all the good gothic stuff. Yeah, I know. That's what we want, right? It's going to be It's gonna be fun. I can't wait. As is Books in the Freezer tradition, we ask all of our guests for a chilling obsession. So that is something in horror that you are enjoying. So... Me, like everybody else, I think right now, I'm kind of obsessed. Uh, I'm obsessed with um, Mexican Gothic. And what I love about it is the fungi horror, the mushroom horror, right? Like, yeah, I've become, I didn't realize that this was a thing, that there were like anthologies about mush, you know, with mushroom stories and mushroom horror was really a real thing. So... I'm obsessed with that right now. Yeah, that book is awesome. And I did an episode with someone on weird fiction. And that's like a lot of mushroom horror. Like two of the books I read for that episode had mushrooms in them. And I'm like, why is this such a thing? I know. I guess this is the like the little category of weird horror, right? And I'm sure that there are so many other subcategories that I don't know about that I'm just excited someday for someone to introduce me to but Mexican Gothic did introduce me to the mushroom um the mushroom side of weird fiction that was good that was a very good take on that and then kind of like the and what I've seen of a few things recently kind of like the Lovecraftian take on white supremacy yep yeah no and I loved it because after writing The Ancestor right which is actually very similar to that book um, it's both both of them are gothic and both of them are about someone who goes to a castle and gets stu- or a big house and gets stuck and you know these like ancestral secrets are discovered and you know there's framing wise there's a lot of similarities so I loved like falling into it but seeing all of it from a totally different perspective and from you know this really talented writer 
Um, so it was such a treat for me. Yeah, we both went such different ways with it, even though, yeah, I didn't even think about you guys having the same devices until you mentioned it right now. Like, I didn't even. It's like 100% the same. I know. My review, and I had a, the book was reviewed in the Times, um, and basically it was all about Gothic fiction, right? Like, how it's Gothic and how it follows these conventions. And then I got uh, Mexican Gothic, and I was like, oh, this is exciting, another Gothic book. And I started reading it, and I was like, oh, my God. There's so many similarities. I love this this writer. So yeah, I'm excited um, to read her other books. Yeah, I think um, her vampire novel is getting reprinted with Tor, I think. Cool. Certain dark things. So yeah, that'll be exciting. Mexican Gothic is awesome, um, as is The Ancestor. Everyone needs to go check that out. It would be fun. Actually, it would be fun if she and I did a reading together. That would be. Wouldn't that be fun? Like both reading like super gothic sections. <laughs> And then another thing we have recently started doing on the podcast is asking people what their final girl song would be. Okay, so this is going to age me. This is going to date me. Like, I'm going to seem really old. But I wasn't actually um, a teenager or even someone who, who was listening to music when the song came out. It's older than me. But I was thinking that it would be amazing to have something kind of moody and slow. Like, um, do you like Joy Division? Um, so love will tear us apart and like literally and figuratively would be a great um, song to have I like that yeah that would be good uh you know like everyone's answers have been such a different take (laughs) on it and so I really like it all the different moods everyone has like a different vision for what that means um so I have started a Spotify playlist and every time someone answers something I add their song to the playlist wonderful oh my god I have to go listen to it where can I find it in the show notes for this episode I'll link it okay but yeah I have a like it's called like bitf final girl wonderful we have I haven't (laughs) I haven't been doing it for a long time so there's not a lot of answers but they all are kind of all over the place and I'm sure (laughs) I mean it's really a reflection of like because it's so many it's so many triggering so many thoughts right like death and music and (laughs) and yeah like very intense Yes. Do you want slow? Do you want like hardcore? (laughs) Yeah. That is awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It was so fun. Thank you. Where can people find you online? So, um, you know, I have a website, danielletrasoni.com. I'm also on Twitter, uh, at Danny Trasoni, and I'm there like a lot, um, too much probably. <laughs> I have a newsletter actually that I, I've created this really f- interesting community through the newsletter where we do writing check-ins and things like that with each other. So if you want to join that, you can just write to me personally, Danielle at Dan- DanielleTrasoni.com and um, you can get in touch with me that way. All right. Well, people can go check out The Ancestor and the Angelology books. Those are out and ready for you guys to read. So go check those out. Okay. Thank you, Stephanie. Again, thank you. Thank you again for coming on. It was so fun. Thank you. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. 
Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are also on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. And on Patreon, we have a $1, 3 and a $5 level. So at the $1 or the Final Girl level, you get episodes two days in advance. So on Sunday instead of Tuesday when they normally drop. And you get to know what the episode is going to be about one week in advance. At the $3 or the axe-wielding maniac level, you can join the Voxer group chat. You can also be a part of our Patreon movie nights. We've watched a lot of really good movies. We watched Hush, The Invitation, Train to Busan, and we recently watched Would You Rather, uh, which is a lot of body horror. And I was squirming for the majority of that movie. So that was a lot of fun. So you can join in on that and of course get everything from the final girl level. And then at the $5 level, that's the malevolent spirit level, you get everything from the axe wielding maniac and final girl level. And you also get bonus episodes like my husband and I just started a new bonus episode series where we are making our way through the stand. So that's something that's in progress right now. And um, I do Up Next, where I let you know what I'm going to be talking about before I record. So if you want any input into the episode, like if I ask a question related to the episode, your input could make it into the episode. So again, that is at the $5 or malevolent spirit level. Another way to support the show is our Amazon link, which will be in the show notes. And that's just doing your basic, like what you would normally get at Amazon. Which I think, I just learned today, you can combine with Whole Foods because <laughs> I was looking through recent purchases and it was like a peach, a ginger root. And I didn't think those were things you could buy from Amazon, but I guess now that it's part of Whole Foods, you can. But a lot of good things. Thank you to those of you that use that. Um, like I said, that will be available in the show notes. And that's something that you can do your normal shopping with and support the show. But you don't have to spend any money to support the show. Word of mouth is a great way to support the show and help the podcast grow, let people know about it. And of course, leaving a rating on something like Apple Podcasts is huge and a big boost to ratings and visibility. So thank you to all of you that have taken your time to do that. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. On Instagram at That's What She Read. That's That's with two A's. And on YouTube as That's What She Read. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer. <laughs>